Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Question for you this morning before we get into our first topic of conversation. When was the last time you saw a hedgehog? A couple of years ago now, we had one in the garden of Coogan Towers. In between my garden and the garden next door, there's a fairly thick hedge. At least there was. And we had a little hedgehog. I'm assuming it was the same fella. Used to come there and sit there and go to sleep inside in the middle of the hedge. And then at night, he'd come out. You'd see him coming out. The dogs, of course, used to freak out about it. But they were okay. (laughs) He just rolled up in a ball, ignored them and... They came in, just got bored when this little thing wouldn't play with them. But when was the last time you saw a hedgehog? Because there's a survey now uh, out there to see um, just how many hedgehogs are in the country. Uh, are they in decline? Because in Britain, it would appear they are. That's just one thing. When was the last time you saw a hedgehog? And if you saw it, where did you see it? Beautiful little creatures. Lovely little fellas. Um, but when was the last time you saw one? Good morning, 1850. 715996 is the number. Wally, by the way, also still down around West Cork Way. I think he unfortunately may have sank a boat in the last 24 hours or so. The poor devil trying to go for his sleep may have sank an old boat. Uh, should he have a pontoon of his own just to throw it out into the bay where he is and he can get up and down off it? That's also coming up. But this is disturbing. Hospital overcrowding. Saw this yesterday. We, we still get them. We, we used to do them very frequently. Don't do them these days. Maybe we should go back to them. The, the trolley watch numbers, we used to get them every day and, and read them out every day, particularly for CUH and the Mercy. And I remember one time, oh God, it's nearly two years ago now, where we had a hundred people on trolleys between uh, CUH and the Mercy and we had a code black situation or what they call a code black situation uh, where people were just told don't go don't come find another another thing to do we, we, we completely rammed 
I remember Fiona being out there actually with her mic uh, talking to some people in the car park about the situation that was existing in, in uh, COH. That's that's a year or two ago now. Go on, two years now. I can't remember, was it this time of the year or another time of the year? But we read this morning that hospital overcrowding is now at its highest level on successive days this week since the start of the pandemic. Between Cork University Hospital and the Mercy yesterday, 73 people were awaiting a bed and that was the second day in a row that we were at the highest level in the country. And HICWA, which is the Health uh, Quality Agency, said it is concerned about overcrowding. We thought it had gone away. It's back, and it seems to be back with a vengeance. Dr. John Sheehan, good morning. Morning, PJ. Why does this happen, John? There is a real sense of deja vu, PJ, particularly when it's in the middle of August, and I think there's probably a couple of reasons. First of all, I think with the pandemic, there is a pent-up sort of undiagnosed illnesses that are out there from people who weren't presenting or things were cancelled or delayed and that's beginning to work its way through now. The second reason I think is a big more fundamental challenge in the sense that our system really isn't fit for purpose in terms of our population where our over 80s are doubling in the next 20 years and we have a hospital system that really was designed for about 100 years ago, or a healthcare system that was designed for 100 years ago, where everything is based around the hospital. So if I see someone, as I did yesterday, PJ, who has chest pain, they go to a If someone falls and breaks their leg, they go to a If someone has pneumonia, they go to a Everything goes to A&E, you know, fundamentally, and that seems to be the, the main access to the healthcare system. And really, we really need to change that. And I remember Colin Henry saying this a couple of months ago, you know, we need to move away our system where it's focused around a building and a hospital because they can't cope. And if we continue doing this, it's going to get worse as our elderly population. Now, mm. I know. Well, why is it? Why is it, John, that everything does seem to be funneled? And I use that word deliberately funneled into the emergency department. There has to be a better way to do it. There absolutely has has, uh, has to be a better way. And there is, you know, they, I, I have, I am in pool 17 years, PJ, and I have seen some huge improvements in healthcare service in some aspects of healthcare. For instance, in the mental health services, and I know they have their challenges, but the home-based crisis team is one of those services that has made a huge difference. The number of people I've had to refer to St. Michael's unit now in the Mercy Hospital, I think one person in four to five years. And that's because they put an alternative service that is, is, is as good, if not better, than what was there beforehand. So you could refer someone, they could be seen very urgently in their own home, there was a whole team, they were supported. It was a, it's a really, really good service. So that's a service, an example of a service that came in, made a big difference and continues to make a big difference. But it required a lot of work, it required a lot of funding, it required a lot of new posts, and it required you know, a good structure that was put in place. Unfortunately, we don't have a similar one with the, you know, with regards to A&E. We have medical assessments units in CUH, which are really good, but very often they're just swamped, and if they're swamped, then the patient has to go to A&E. So we even need alternative structures that you can send people in if someone, for instance, the chest pain clinic is one. Uh, a breast, the breast clinic is really, really good, and that's, that's slightly different than A&E. But when you have really, really good alternative services, then people don't go to A&E with these. And we need an awful lot more of them. And we we need to start doing it. And we need to start doing it. It's a bit like the climate emergency yesterday, PJ. We, if we don't start doing this, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. 
back in the 80s stroke 90s, a number of different EDs were phased out or shut down in this city. At the time, and I remember the politics of the time, people said this will come back to bite you. Is it coming back to bite us? I don't think we need necessarily more a and because they'll just act as... Or more ways to get into the system, John. More ways to get, absolutely, to get into the system. So if you look at things like, say, the Mercy Urgent Care Centre, that works really, really well. It's very defined. It does what it does. It sees acute injuries, and it works really, really well. So we need more things like that. We need more ways of getting into the system. I know the HSC now are beginning to look at these sort of teams um, where we have assessment, uh, elderly assessment teams, frailty teams, falls risk teams to try to prevent uh, people having to go into hospital, but also when they are in hospital and when they go home, that there's much more support. Because sometimes what happens to people, P- people, PJ, they're in hospital for a long time, then they're going home, they may get home help, um, you know, for a couple of hours a day, and there's a huge shortage of that, and that's all they get. And we need an awful lot more of those supports. The one single biggest intervention in healthcare that makes the biggest difference is home health hours. It's the number one thing that keeps people at home longer and keeps people in the community where they want to be longer. So really, we need to start grasping some of those things because this is just going to get worse and worse and you're going to be on to me and on to others over the winter and over the next couple of years unless we fundamentally change these systems. And one of the things... One of the common critics of doctors, one of the common criticisms of doctors, GPs like yourself, John, and I wanted you to, to address it, is that GPs are now sending everybody automatically to the ED. Would you accept or reject that? I'd, I'd reject it, really, because really, there's some, some patients that have to go directly to A&E, um, you know, if they fall and break their leg or whatever. But generally speaking, nobody wants to go to A&E. No one wants to be sitting there for hours. No one wants to go through the stress and all the anxiety of that. So, you know, we had to send one person yesterday via ambulance to A&E, and that would be very unusual. The vast majority of people want to stay at home. They do not want to go to A&E. If they can avoid it by going to outpatients or x-raying or some other mechanism, they certainly um, um, will do. So people people generally don't want to be in doctors' waiting rooms. They don't want to be in A&E. They want to stay out in their community. And older people in particular do mm. not want to go to hospital. I've had... You know, the arguments with some elderly people who had to go to hospital who just did not want to go because of the fear of all the things that may happen to them. So, you know, people want to be out in their community and we need to restart reconfiguring our health service. And um, in Cork here, PJ, we need an elective hospital. There's no two ways about it. It's all a bit of a fudge at the moment. They're talking about a day procedure hospital then as opposed to an elective hospital and then are you going to keep the other hospitals um, open? So we really need to get our heads around that. And, and, and the, the harsh reality is you need more ways into the system because not, thousands of people, if I've spoken to one person, I've spoken to a thousand people over the last God knows how many years doing this job and they all say the same thing. Once you get in, the service is great. It's getting in is the problem. Yeah, that's fundamentally it. And it has been done in other aspects of the health service. The home-based crisis team, that's done it. Other bits of the service, the geriatric service is really, really good. Um, you know, so we have done it in other aspects of the healthcare system. We just need an awful lot more and we need to grasp the reality of it because if this is mid-August and you're quoting those figures now, you can imagine what it's, what it's going to be like in the middle of winter. I'd rather not, as I imagine you would too. Dr John Sheehan, thank you very much. Let me go to uh, Fine Gael TD, Colin Bork. Colin, good morning to you. We could, we, could, we could play back... I beg your pardon, that's line three I'm going to. Sorry, lads. 
uh, release two and take three. Colin Burke, we could have this conversation and play a loop tape for the last 20 years. Here we go again. Good morning. Good morning. Absolutely. And I mean, I would agree with what um, Dr. John Sheen has said there. There are huge challenges there. There's an increasing population. There's an increasing elderly population. For instance, we have 720,000 people over 65 now. By 2030, which is not that far away, we will have a million people over 65. Therefore, there will be new challenges. And um, I don't think we're we're um, adapting fast enough to meet those challenges. And in particular, I would agree with him in relation to Sloan to Care and the proposal for the elective hospital in Cork. What's being talked about is a, a day facility, which means that there's a huge lot of people will not be able to use that kind of facility, say someone who is underlying heart conditions and they go in for minor surgery, they won't be able to use that kind of a facility. Likewise, someone with diabetes. So I don't think there's um, um, realistic thinking going on in relation to what Cork now requires. Um, and the population of Cork has increased by over 130,000 in the last 25 years, um, but without any increase in real terms of any new facility. Mm. And yes, I know there's a lot of procedures now where before it required, say, two or three day of mission. There are no daycare procedures, but that still doesn't meet the challenges of the mm. growing population or the growing elderly population. I have a, a, a table in front of me, uh, Colm, that just bears uh, focus on for a moment. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm throwing this out to all of our political representatives, not just your good self. Uh, Fine Gael, of course, been in government several times over the last God knows how many years, 30 years. Same with Fianna Fáil. They've all been in government. Let's have a look. Back in 1980, per 100,000 population, okay, Ireland had 425 acute hospital beds. In 2014, we had 240. All right. 240. In 2010, so 80 to 2010 is 30 years, with 256. So from 1980, when we had 425 per 100,000, to 30 years later in 2010, with 256. Like, that's not the direction you want those numbers to be going, Colm. No, and you see, this is the problem. While on the one hand, you take in the 80s and the 90s, there was a big move on because a lot of things were going to daycare procedures. It didn't take into account that there was going to be a growth in population. You take, for instance, you know, between 2012 and 2020, the number of people working in this country increased by 400,000. You know, sort of population increased dramatically, but we didn't. We didn't bring that. We didn't bring the capacity up with it, and, and and that's the reason why we we have a housing crisis as well because we didn't. The the housing issue didn't respond to the same. So so level so, so basically, efficiency. government after government, minister after minister, Department of Health after Department of Health, and I include your party, Fianna Fáil, Labour, everybody who's set foot around the government table in the last thirty years, have all got this wrong. No, you see, one of the problems with, with health is that health doesn't respond to the demands as fast as what it should be. You know, you take, say, for instance, how long have we been talking about, uh, you know, any new facility? The Children's Hospital has been discussed for 30 years. We had planning uh, mm. in the matter side, then that was turned down. So there was a, a, a delay of eight, nine years. 
as a result. And this is the problem that I have now about Sloan to Care and Rish, the rollout of the elective hospital for Cork. What is what we are talking about is not what we want. You take, say, for instance, the South Infirmary uh, Stoke Victoria University Hospital. Part of that was built in 1754. And, you know, we've moved on a long way from 1754, but we still have a facility in there where we're trying to provide care in outdated facilities. And unless we build a new elective hospital for Cork, then we'll have to continue to use it. Oh, I know. Well, we, 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 we've had that discussion, and I know yeah. you're, you're, you're very concerned with the plans that Slauncha Care has for Cork, and, and we, we discussed that before on the programme. But the, the, stark statistic, the, the stark statistic in front yeah. of me says that from 19, in 1980, with 425 beds per 100, acute beds per 100,000 population. In 2010 we had 256. I don't have a 2020 figure but it doesn't seem to be going any way up because in 2014 it was 240. So until we start getting more acute beds in there and the staff to staff them so we're going to be howling at the wind. But, but you see, your biggest problem at the moment with the hospitals, with the Mercy, the South Infirmary, CUH, they're at capacity in relation to beds that they have at the moment. We, you know, you can't put any more beds in. And of course, with COVID then, in fact, you've been in some situations mm-hmm. where you've had to reduce beds. Yeah. So the only way of dealing with that capacity shortage is building a new elective hospital. There is no other way around it. Yeah. You can do all the clinics you want. But unless you have capacity to put the beds in, no. you cannot deal with it. Now, now, now Dr. There. John was also talking about community care and people being treated in their own homes and in their own community. And, and, and that's a very good way for the system to work. But you kind of need the acute urgent beds to keep moving along with the population as well. Yeah, you do. But you, what you need to make sure is that you have the backup support out there in the community and that's the biggest challenge we're now going to have in particular in rural areas for instance is trying to get home care providers I've heard of one case uh, about 15 miles from the city where they were offered 12 hours of home care per week but the HSE Bluebird or Home Instead could not get anyone to provide the care that was required and that's another challenge that we're going to have to deal with as well is having sufficient number mm. of home carers and if you've seen some of the private home care providers now are offering to train a huge number of new people to mm. provide that service and that's what we need as well. Colm, you have a bit more, to be fair to you, you have a bit more experience than the average public rep in, in, in terms of, of health. You've been involved in health act activism within politics for a long time and when you were an MEP I think you served on the health committee over there so so you know the score here but the score is simply that successive governments have caused this to happen that's what my listeners say every time this comes up I think there is no point in walking away from that issue that is the reality and of course the biggest problem that we had and from 2009 on there was a huge effort to cut back on staff and cut back on services because budgetary requirements came into play. We've now gone to a situation, for instance, in the in the first seven months of this year, 65% of all money spent was spent on either social welfare or on uh, health. So it's now taking up 65% of the budget between social welfare support and healthcare. And say the other 13 government departments are sharing 35% of the budget. And that's the challenge we will have into the immediate future is we have to put more money in, we have to put more services in, and we cannot 
like this whole delaying process. Well, it, it can. It also can take years for something to happen. Colm, I'll leave it there with you, and thank you for being with us on the opinion line for the TD, Colm Burke. The, the point he makes about the children's hospital, and we know what kind of a cluster mess that is, that's illustrative, though. Thanks, Colm. That's illustrative of the situation. Nothing happens quickly here. Look at China. When they had the outbreak in Wuhan, they built a temporary hospital in a week. This is the truth. They built a temporary hospital in a week and were able to start a second one. It takes us years to even think. Something else that isn't happening at the moment, and very quickly, Fergal, before I go to the break here, something else that isn't helping at the moment is the situation in Bantry. And I know that the Irish Nursing and Midwives Organisation has been across this one. Liam Conway is their industrial relations officer. Liam, good morning. Good morning. And, and the situation in COH is not being helped by the ongoing debacle in Bantry. No, absolutely not. And I think you, you've seen it spill over over the last few days with patients being referred to the likes of COH, the Mercy and uh, University Hospital of Kerry due to the um, lack of capacity for admissions in Bantry. I'm glad to say that today that the um, Bantry will be opening up again for admissions as uh, consultant cover has been um, found. Um, the HC confirmed that to us yesterday. But I suppose, look, um, just listening to some of the the, the, the callers there as well, um, PJ, I suppose there's just big concerns there in terms of the ele- the elective hospital is one facet. It's not the solution to the overcrowding problem. Um, like I suppose the GP touched on the the, the population and the, you know the, the the vast volumes and demand now in the services. So um, the, the big concern really at the moment is um, the need for discharge facilities. So delayed discharge is a big problem, and that's causing the backlog in, in the emergency departments here in the city uh, because there's simply not enough beds to be admitted to. Um, so yes, there's a need for investment as personal care in the community and for home care supports, uh, CIT services, which is your home IV antibiotics, which can be provided as well. Mm. Uh, there's also been pilots and such as virtual wards, which is a multidisciplinary effort from many uh, teams as well. Um, so there's, there's a lot of options, but there is a lot of issues in the HSE, and we called yesterday for an independent review that um, really that, that, that there needs to be a better plan in place for the winter. So, for example, the Mercy University Hospital, in terms of their winter plan, it's, it's closing some of their units internally to allow for additional capacity. Well, there's the point, um, you see. Why should they have to close stuff just to cope with winter? I mean, here we are on the 11th of August, and normally this is a conversation I'd start having in October. So by the time we get to October, we're going to be banjaxed altogether. I can be very confident in saying to you, looking at the weather out there t- today as well, it suits the mood of our members inside the emergency departments and across the hospitals in Cork. Winter has arrived already in August, um, and we see that with the figures. These are figures we traditionally see, you know, October, November onwards. Um, and it, look, this this is an absolute crisis, and you have the combined factor then of COVID nineteen. Yeah, how much of a role is COVID playing in this, Liam? Because the you know p- politically, people would like us to believe, well, if we didn't have COVID to deal with, we wouldn't be in this mess. How true is that? Well, I think look, there there is a, there has to be some contributing factors of COVID nineteen as well, and that that maybe with delayed referrals and delayed assessments delayed appointments over the over the pandemic. There's no two ways about that and, and GPs will be able to, to tell you that as well from their own experience. But I suppose our, our members are have to raise concerns uh, in particular around um, the high volume of GP referrals where patients haven't been seen by their GP yet. The significant wait times uh, and, and they're simply disgraceful, the significant wait times to be seen 
um, in the emergency rooms at the moment because there's simply not enough space. And we have to remember as well that the, these are workplaces and, um, you know, the, we're simply saying that the workplaces aren't safe from a COVID-19 perspective yeah. because you have these overcrowded environments. And if the workplace isn't safe, it's not safe for patients. There's, there's um, legislation there from 2005 that governs all of that. I listened to a discussion on uh, British radio the other night, a late night phone in, and this woman rang the programme apoplectic with fury. She was spitting bullets down the phone because she'd brought her father-in-law to an emergency department and it took him three and a half hours to be seen. And I'm thinking, they get angry over that? You know? It could be two days here. Yeah, no, it, it's absolutely, look, every patient should be triaged when they come in the door within 15 minutes um, when they arrive in the emergency department. Unfortunately, what's happening at the moment is um, while that service is being provided, it's taking a long time for patients to be actually seen by yeah. a, a medical the medical team. Or, or oh yeah, you get seen in triage practice. in fairness. The last time I had occasion to bring myself to hospital, which is a few years ago now, I was seen by triage within 25, 30 minutes. And and I was put on a, a priority, but I, was, I then sat there for about seven hours till I was seen. Yeah, and I think look, we have to look at this from a pragmatic approach here uh, uh, for this winter. Um, there isn't going to be a hospital built in the coming couple, couple of months, so we have to be looking at look the utilisation of the fine hospitals that are here in, in the private sector in Cork. Yeah. So there is elective work being. Um, uh, procured out into the private uh, hospitals since COVID-19 but we need to be looking at the capacity in the private hospitals yeah. because simply yeah. the, the overcrowding is not acceptable for anyone here in, in the city. It was amazing how quickly at the start of COVID we were able to do a deal to get private capacity is, is, should, should it be done again now with winter in mind? Well, I think look absolutely and I think you, you have to look at there has to be an independent uh, review of what's going on here in Cork because the overcrowding is getting worse, right? And simply throwing an extra 100 beds, uh, which they done in Limerick, didn't actually help the problem above. The overcrowding has still continued in Limerick and it still tends to be the worst on a daily basis. So you have to look at what what is the HSE doing and what can be done better. And I think, look, as it currently stands, the system isn't working. Um, delayed discharges are a massive problem and a pra- pragmatic um, day-to-day challenge for hospital management. And then you have then the lack of capacity. So, for example, what is desperately needed here in the city is a step-down facility, a rehabilitation yeah. unit. That's yeah. what should be really in the pipeline. For people well. who are better but not well enough to go home can be moved for, for a few days or a week. Liam, I'm going to leave it there because we're really busy with this one this morning. Thanks very much. Liam Conway, uh, Industrial Relations Officer with the Irish Nursing and Midwives Organisation. Another organisation that's been pointing to this and shouting about this for years. Here we are talking on the 11th of August about something that we would normally start to hear about in October. So, to, to quote Game of Thrones, winter is coming, winter is here. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Focus what you mean, got my eyes on the prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick, Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal, whoa, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. 
Premier League Live. With now, stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. Hear all the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars non-stop. Cork's 96fm's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online. Listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialist in sound this summer. Cork's 96FM. If you look over the ministers of health we've had, we've had Fianna Fáil ministers. Among them would have been, say, Brian Cowan in his day. We currently have Stephen Donnelly. Oh, we've had Fine Gael ministers. Simon Harris was there and and, and James Riley was there, he, a doctor himself. And he, Leo Varadkar, another doctor, was minister for health. Go back in the day, Michal Martin was Michal Martin? He was. Michal Martin was minister for health, the one who brought in the smoking ban. Go back further again, you find Mary Harney, PD, and then Independent. She was minister for health. None of them have managed to get a handle on this. So, uh, Sinn Féin's Thomas Gould, what would you do different? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I tell you, PJ, I was just listening to uh, the Fianna Gael um, TV column, or who's their spokesperson on health. And I don't know, am I living in the twilight zone, but this column that realised that he's in government and that Fianna Gael have been government for 10 years, and for him to come on the radio with you this morning saying that they need more investment, it's Fianna Gael's fault that we're in the position we're in. Well, they've all been at it, like, let's face it, they've all been at it. Uh, well, PJ, All except yourself, you haven't had to go off it. Yes, but you're coming on the radio too this morning, PJ, right? We've known that the CUH is going from crisis to crisis every year. And as you made a point earlier, we're here now in August talking about a crisis that normally we don't hear about until October. And the reason for that is a lack of investment. And mm. it's seen the year have been government for 10 years. So, so what would you do different? One point that Colin Burke did did make is even if you had investment tomorrow, even if you ploughed the money in tomorrow, and I am paraphrasing, like stuff like the children's hospital taking forever to build, and if you have this great big new greenfield site hospital that we need in Cork, like it won't be there at Christmas or next Christmas for that matter. So what can you do in the immediate term? Well, you see, Peter, you do a combination of things. Number one, you have to plan for the future, right? And for 20 years, we've been promised an extra hospital in Cox. Mm-hmm. No, this wasn't something that I came up with. This is something that... Dr. John Higgins, in his, in his report a number of years ago on reconfiguration, yeah. and that's not today nor yesterday nor the day before. I remember having that report. It's a good 10 years ago, if not longer. John Higgins said there needs to be another hospital. So we've been... We need that hospital, the government, the province staff hospital. And this year, uh, recently, the government announced 250,000 towards uh, looking at that hospital. Like, this is a joke in relation to Cork. And this goes down to the way that Cork is being treated in relation to government investment and government. And I'm saying the people of Galway now and the people of Roscommon and the people of Tipperary and the people of Limerick and Donegal and Sligo and you name it would, would all be saying the same thing. So let, let's not, let's no, not no, do a geography PJ, thing no, here. PJ, no, 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 let's say PJ. Because geography is just politics, no, yeah. No, no, it's not politics. This is a report that you just mentioned that said that Cork is in urgent need. Now, this report is well over 10 years old, if not yes. 20, right? Fair so point. if we needed this hospital for 10 years and Fianna Gael didn't, Fianna Gael would empower that whole 10 years. Cullen 
was part of a party that was in government for the 10 years that never delivered. So the first point is that should be delivered immediately. Yeah. That they should say that announcements should be given, the investment should be put there, and the site should be located somewhere on the north side while we're talking about it, because there's a complete lack of hospitals compared to the north. So, your, your, man, your man is David Cullinan, isn't it? Let, let's put you guys yeah. in government tomorrow. What would you do? Well, what we would do then, like, we would put investment in where it needs to be. Now, unfortunately, I've been out to see you here to last with my own medical conditions over the last two years, right? And this pressure the staff are under oh, yeah. the hospitals, the Mercy and the CUH. They need additional resources, additional staff, nurses, beds. So for the hospitals that we do have, we have to put the funding in place to give them what they need to deliver the services. Because I'm out there, PJ, and you mentioned yourself you were out there. That's a few years ago now, to be honest. The, the staff have worked Brilliant. and they've been through the COVID. Brilliant. And it hasn't been recognised. And, like, you had a, a chap on there earlier, Liam, talking about what happened in Bantry. Like, nurses are, are just giving up on, this, on the health service here because the pressure of the under. You want to be able to say to them is, listen, we hear what you're saying. We're going to put in more nurses, more doctors, more consultants, because... There are hundreds of places that are, that are empty right now to mm. Mm. because people won't walk under these conditions. So what we're saying is what David Cullinan has said is the first thing we would do, just one simple thing we would do, we would bring on board 100 additional acute beds immediately, right? No, that would be a start. But by immediately, you know, when do you mean? He means straight away. Tomorrow, next week, next month, six months, 12 months? No, that means immediately we would say to the, the hospitals, put in additional beds, put in additional staff, put in additional nurses and doctors. That's in our budget what, proposal. By Christmas? That we put in. Oh, yes. We put that Where in. Where were they coming from? What do you mean? We would hire them. But you have to have the money and you have to have the commitment by the department to do it. And what we would say to the department in our budget, and all of this is completely costed. So like if people say, where are you getting the money from? We have costed that and mm. it's in our budget for 2000 The problem is, you see, there's plane loads of nurses gone to Australia. There's plane loads of nurses gone to the UK. At the start of the pandemic, we asked them to come back and, and very few of them did. Well, that's no PJ. There was thousands of people volunteered to go back in when they were, when the government put out the call for Ireland. And people contacted my office to say that they were willing. I know one lady who was willing to give up her job. Uh, she's working in the private sector because she has skills that could have been done with in the HSE. And she volunteered. And I know another guy who done the same contact my office. And they never got a call. Back. Yeah, that's true, too, Tom. You're right there. You're absolutely right. So, like, there right are there. thousands of people wanting to help out. And, PJ, there's nurses coming out. Like, you look at, they never even paid. And student nurses went into the hospitals in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, and I spoke and to a few, I, I spoke to a few of them. That was another issue. Now, caller says here beds are not the issue, it's staffing. They can't get the nurses. And one of the arguments commonly made is the nurses are coming straight out of school, straight out of college, getting on a plane out of here. Well, PJ, if you were a nurse coming, finishing college now, what they're looking for is a contract that they will go into work. Not these temporary contracts. Not these... There's no guarantee for nurses when they come out of college. What we are saying is every nurse that comes out of college 
should be given a job in the HSE. A guaranteed job. So that they will when they finish college. But would people, you make them permanent we, straight away? I, we, you, you would do, you would hire them straight away in a full-time contract. They would go through their normal procedures like everyone else would go through right. before, before they made full-time. But what we do know, PJ, is that we're short hundreds if not thousands of staff at the moment. Yeah, we are. And so short loads of consultants it, and loads of doctors. Here's one of the things, Thomas, and I'll let you go with this one. Here's one of the things that really grinds my gears about when an important job comes up in the HSE. So, let's imagine I'm a consultant, Right consultant bluffer like I am here let's imagine right I'm a consultant right and I tell the uh, the hospital where I'm working okay guys I am moving on um, I'm going to Glasgow to be a bluffer there and I'm handing in my notice and I'll finish up on the 31st of December when do they advertise my post Tom well please yes I when do they advertise my post tell listeners because listeners won't believe me yes 1st of January isn't it Tom yeah, they should advertise it immediately. The day I hand in my and notice, didn't they? Peter, that goes to the problem of the whole bureaucracy. Is the unions don't want that happening. No, who said that? You can't advertise a post while the person is still in it. Peter, and the unions have all agreed to that. But that's government bureaucracy and red tape. What we should have is rolling, hiring, rolling interviews. They should be running 20, 12 months of the year, 52 weeks of the year. The minute staff either leave, retire, because... And in their notice. Because you have to oh, give not- a considerable yeah. amount of notice if you're in, in a job like a consultant. You've got to give several months notice. But you see, Peter, this is the problem with the system. And can I like down in Bantry when someone was coming up to retirement... They knew the man was going to be retiring. And when did they advertise the post? PJ, my own daughter was was under a consultant who retired three years ago. And when we contacted the HSC to see who was taking off my daughter's position in Cork, they had no one. No one. So I know exactly what's happening with the with the procurement and hiring. And we the only person we could see is a person in Dublin. Now, this was a very specialist consultant position that they had in Cork. And when that chap retired, which he was entitled to do, he gave the required notice. They still had no one in place. And that goes to the heart of the problem with the HSE, the bureaucracy and the red tape that the government had allowed in. What we need is the ability to hire people immediately. What we don't do, and the problem here, and I listen to Colin Buck and Fianna Fáil people coming and telling us what's wrong. The, problem, the reason we have problems is DNA these problems. What Sinn Féin are trying to do, we're trying to be more flexible, right. give more autonomy, and listen to the doctors okay. and nurses because right. they are on the front line. All right, I'm, I'm moving on because we're busy. Thomas, thank you very much. That's uh, uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, Thomas Gould. That, that is just, and I've never been able to find anybody who can explain it. So I'm a doctor, right? And this is the 11th of August. And I get offered a great job in Scotland. So I go and I give my required amount of notice to the HSE. And I say, OK, I'm, I'm handing in my notice. I will finish up on the 31st of December. My job won't be advertised until the first week in January. However, if I get offered a fabulous job in radio in the UK, or anywhere else for that matter, I nip downstairs here at the end of the day. I have the the quiet conversation with the boss and I say, look, I'm handing in my notice, I'll be finishing up on 31st of December. They'll advertise my job tomorrow or the day after and have someone lined up to fall in. 
So where's the problem? 1850-715-996. Back to far more, um, far more easygoing matters next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Want to win big in the afternoon? Oh, brilliant. Thanks a million, Simon. <laughs> Join me. I'm always good for a giveaway. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much. Giving you all your favourite tunes right across the day and sure we'll have you on the air for a bit of a chat as well. I've had it's kind of one eye on it. I, like, I've been half what herself is... Oh, come on. Admit it. it. You're watching every second. Uh, the soccer or Love Island on TV last night for you? Oh, uh, soccer, definitely. I understand. You spoofed me. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, no. Thank you very much. Love the show. Thank you. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With McCarthy's House and Home at Douglas Court and Ballancolic Shopping Centres. All of great deals on all your interior decor. On Cork's 96 FM. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 On Cork's 96 FM. Right, lots of your comments on the health system and how we might improve it and who could we possibly trust to improve it because over the years no one's actually managed to do it despite shouting about it. To, um, louder than the one that went before but we'll, we'll return to all of that he's still around now there's a story going around that the poor devil in want of a place to have a sleep actually managed to sink a boat yesterday which I'm sure he he didn't intend to do but he is around and Emer Keevney who's a marine mammal ecologist and the co-founder of Orca Ireland reckons we should actually make his own little pontoon for him to sleep on. I, am I oversimplifying, Emer? Is that what you want us to do? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Hi, how are you keeping? Good, good. Um, yeah, so essentially um, the walrus is looking for a haul-out site. So um, in the Arctic, they're used to hauling out on sea ice, um, but here he's taken to hauling out on rocks and people's boats. So, um, as you can imagine, that's not great with property damage and also disturbance. So, um, Orca Ireland are essentially appealing to the public for um, donations, essentially, of units of a pontoon. So, um, we're working closely with Seal Rescue Ireland and they've secured um, 14 units so far. But this is an 800 kg animal. So, like, we really definitely need more than what we have at the moment. Um, and if we can put that then in a safe place where he won't be disturbed, then Orca Ireland volunteers can take shifts and monitor his welfare. And now, hopefully you know, encourage members of the public as well to keep a distance. Yeah. Because at the moment, like, you know, we have vessels approaching him um, and they really need to keep back at least, you know, 100 to 500 metres distance. Really? Because so, yeah. people are getting up very close to him and filming him. And he seems placid enough, but I'd be worried about him put it that way. Yeah, I mean, essentially he has a long journey home and we hope that he, he will head back home towards the Arctic. But he needs to recover and he needs to gain energy stores. So um, walruses, they're known to sleep for a long long periods of time, up to 20 hours. 
And that's what he's doing, essentially. He's resting and then he's foraging and he's building his energy reserve. So if so, you put a pontoon out in the middle of, and with, he's been seen around Court Mac, so let's pick, pick Court Mac Harbour as, a, as an example. If you put a, a, a pontoon of some kind out in the middle of Court Mac, Mac, is he going to be able to determine that that's a place for him and not, some, not climb up on some Puma's fortune boat? Like, can you make it attractive to him in some way? Do you put food on it or something and draw him up onto it? No, I mean, he was happy to haul out on a very similar structure in the Isle of Scilly in Wales where he was. Um, And, you know, essentially we just want to create that that kind of habitat that he can can haul out on and he's safe from disturbance. Um, he's he's not uh, in court, Mac, but we won't disclose his location. No, I just it, he was seen around that area. He has moved from there. Yeah, yeah. He was seen around that area. Yeah, and so we're also appealing to members of the public that if they do see Wally, to please um, report his observations to the Observers app, which is a free app. Um, and it's really, really helpful because, you know, it's, everybody has a phone, so everybody's taking photos and videos, and it's really easy to upload and just log your report. Right. Um, and that will help us to coordinate the walrus watch as well with um, between Orca Ireland and Seal Rescue. Yeah. And I mean, between all the NGOs and, and we've been working with Irish Coast Guard, um, between all of us, you know, we will be able to you know, help him along yeah. his way. But we do need that that support from members of the public. So if you do um, have a pontoon unit or if you do have a, a rib that you kindly donate or even just the lend of it for, for, a, few, for a few days, then please do get in touch with us via our social media or our website at okay. You're Quite easy to find on, on social media. Emer, I've been thinking about this since we started hearing about it. He can't be comfortable in our waters. It's too warm for him. Well, it is interesting that he's gone on such a long journey. I mean, he's been you know, to Wales, he's been to Cornwall, um, he's been to the south of France, and last week he was in County Waterford. Um, and I suppose his journey started in Valencia last March. So he's been on quite a journey and it is a cause for concern, um, especially with the, you know, the latest report from the IPCC on climate change. So, I mean, you know, it's usually out of sight, out of mind. But with Wally here, you know, we can't really deny that, you know, we have to look at things like, you know, what's causing these shifts in species distributions and, and why are we seeing more Arctic species in Irish waters? Mm. You know, so- no, but for him here on his own, however he managed to get here, it can't be comfortable for him. Well, he must be foraging, you know. So he 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 doesn't forage. Um, he doesn't forage hmm. um, on on what you know pinnipeds here do. What, but what, what would he eat? Fish. So, so um, essentially, like he eats clams, um, and he's a bottom a bottom feeding um, pinniped. Oh. But. Like, you know, he's he's quite different to the pinnipeds we have here. So we have foses, we have grey seals and harbour seals. But while he's in the pinniped family, he's actually an obinidae. So, um, odobinidae. That's, that's kind of complicated now, Emer. Yeah. What does he eat? Yeah, so he eats clams and he eats shellfish. So right. essentially, bottom feeding, he's a bottom feeding barger. Okay, okay. So, so he, wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be eating the mackerel and he wouldn't be eating the... Yeah, exactly. So the the diet now of grey seals in Ireland, for example, they eat a lot of pork cod, um, a lot of herring, a lot of sprat and things like that. But you know, this this walrus here, he's a he's a feeds on shellfish. So, um, he must be getting some some kind of food, whether he's feeding on scallops here or mussels or yeah. what. But um, I suppose that you know we don't really know. But we we can see that he's resting. We can see that you know he does get out of his 
boat, let's say, um, over the past few days, and he would go foraging and he'd come back right. and he'd rest again. So, so if, like some, if someone can help you with the stuff you need to make a comfortable pontoon for him, they could just get on to you at Orca Ireland and it's on your Facebook and on, you've got, you've got Twitter as well. Facebook is Orca Ireland, O-R-C-A. Emer, leave it there for no reason other than time. That's Emer Keevney. She's the co-founder of Orca Ireland, a marine mammal ecologist. He, he, he eats shellfish. So he does. So he won't be eating the mackerel. Was it Father John was on at me the morning giving out that maybe he's eating all the mackerel down in West? He's not. He has no interest in eating mackerel. The mines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Out of the blocks at 9 o'clock, I asked you, when was the last time you see a hedgehog? And we'll be talking more about them a bit later this morning. PJ, we're tripping over them down here in Ballinhasic rescuing them from the roads and from estates and they're getting stuck in the nets on the GAA pitch a plague of hedgehogs in Ballinhasig Hi PJ, we have a hedgehog in our garden every night we feed him nuts and cat food he's the size of a Rottweiler well I'd say not, but anyway (laughs) they're beautiful to see sometimes the young come with them and a badger and their young come they all come together and they eat in the same area as the cats and the foxes and the cubs it's like a nature show at night time. Thanks for that. Uh, hi, Paige. I'm seeing hedgehogs dead every day on the roads due to the hedgerows not being cut back. It means they're on the roads and they're too slow to get away from the cars. It's very sad. I'm finding dead ones all over the place. If you're finding hedgehogs in the garden or around you, falling over them with the gap hitch, uh, listen up for later because we'll be talking about the hedgehog, the humble hedgehog. They're lovely creatures. Now, they're alive with fleas, as far as I know, so I wouldn't be getting too close. But, still, on the subject of the health service, Colin says Thomas Gould sounds like he's telling you how he'd spend his money if he won the lotto. Seven and a half, this is a Twitter message, seven and a half hours in the CUH with back pain and with numbness. But to be fair, when my partner needed surgery on an abscess, he was admitted within the hour. Ah, yeah, that's triage, and that's how it should be. He should be in. Quick smart, but you shouldn't be sitting there with back pain and numbness for seven hours. That shouldn't be happening. In March, I spent 18 hours on a chair in the AE waiting to be seen. Kate says they're building a hospital for millions and millions and millions in Dublin, but it's only for children. Maybe they should be building hospitals for everybody. Caller says the government blaming COVID on overcrowding is a joke. This was here long before. It was, caller. It was indeed. And what we would normally be talking about in October, we're now talking about in August. Thomas Gould's party aren't in power. Bork's party are, but the questions weren't put to him. But I think they were now, to be fair, caller. I put it to him, the figures, and I put the whole lot to him. What else am I supposed to do? Beat the man around the studio with a hurley? Uh, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, governments have neglected the health service over the years. And now we're paying the price, says this one. Uh, HSE are doing what they like. They think they're doing the most, but they're not progressing anywhere. They should produce a plan every 12 months uh, to the general body. Then at least everyone can come in on it. And more and more of them still coming in. Key and stop blaming the hospitals. They've closed hospitals. People are struggling. Put the finger out. Uh, Darren, all Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil solutions involve their rich friends or themselves. If it doesn't, it doesn't happen. It's as simple as that. 
And Kieran said there should be one health service for all. Why should someone in, who is desperately ill have to wait months for a test because they haven't money to pay for a private visit? It's crazy and inhumane. One service problem solved. Well, that, Kieran is what Slauncher Care purports to be eventually. Well, whether we ever get to it. Uh, one doesn't know. 1857-15996. We talked so many times on the programme about dumping, illegal dumping all over the city and county. And it's worse it's getting. Dan is in Castle Freak. Dan, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are things? Good. You sent us in some pictures. You have the same problem as many, many more. What have you found? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, there's always been issues on the dunes in Long Strand. Um, but um, the issue seems to have escalated a little over the past year or two. Um, so basically, the dunes in Longstrand are part of a special area of conservation. Um, so camping is illegal, fire lighting is illegal. Um, but last Sunday evening, not last Sunday evening, the one, the one before the bank holiday weekend, yeah. um, so we were in the dunes and we witnessed there was about 20, over 20 tents all together and there was a music, it was a band or something like that setting up and the whole lot and they had lights and the whole lot. So basically what amounted to an outdoor concert there. Um, I, so we came back on the Monday, some of the campers were still there. We came back again on the Tuesday to find that they had left all their litter. So there was wooden pallets that they had brought in some equipment on um, there was all your usual glass bottles, plastic bottles, abandoned clothing, um, abandoned cooking equipment, the fire damage from fires they had lit, and even down to human feces. I'm looking at a picture of it here, and I don't believe it. I mean, there's the remains of a bonfire. There's what looks like leftover clothes, and there is a picture of someone having communed with nature in the grass yeah. and just left it there. Yeah, and I mean, this is, there's one area of the dunes that this is usually concentrated in, and that's that was strewn with toilet paper and what have you, and even further down the dunes, to a lesser extent, but, um, you know, they didn't clean up after themselves, and, you know, some of them do, but, I mean, this crowd didn't know. It's come to light since. There was a report in the Evening Echo last week um, that this was an organised event, um, and there's videos online of it, and... Um, you know, I'd been showing the videos, and uh, yeah, it, it was an it was an organised event, um, and you know, I, I mean, I I thought that you said previously that any kind of camping or any kind of event like this in the dunes is illegal. So yeah. I assume it's been reported to the relevant authorities. Yeah, so it's illegal. It's illegal from a. The point of view of special area conservation, it's also illegal. The County Council have beach bylaws, which make all that sort of stuff illegal as well. So it was reported to the County Council, it was reported to National Parks and reported to Gardaí actually on the night. Without identifying um, anybody, please don't, are you aware of who the organisers were? Uh, well, I'm not aware of who they are, but I think the person who wrote the article... I think is aware of who they are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I presume. No, I, I, I suppose from a, from that point of view, the horse is bolted, the, the, the event is over, but I mean, what what people in the area are looking for... Could be fine for littering, then? Yeah, I don't know whether that could be nailed down or whatever, but what, what we want is proactive um, efforts to stop it. I mean, the County Council, I'm bait out from 
ringing the county council about this. They don't want to do anything about it. They won't even respond. The national parks, in fairness to them, have put up extra signage, but some of that signage has been removed. Um, but there's almost a kind of a, from the people now that should be looking after that area, there's almost a bit of a shrug of the shoulder. And, and what do they, when you, you say you're bait out from calling the council, what do they say when you call them? Well, this this went on last year as well, and uh, you know, over the course of a few weeks, I was calling them. Asked, you know, one person would say, "Oh, I can't do anything," and I'd say, "Well, let me talk to someone who can." Like, and they they just refused to put me on to someone who can. Like, sure, surely, um, some department is responsible for the. Oh. Yeah, well, I've I've never heard anything back Thank from the you. council as to we're going to do something. And have you spoken to local councillors, members of council, see what they do out of you? Well. I've emailed some of them lately and there's zero response from any of them. Uh, the only one who's responded to me, in fairness to the two TDs, Holly Kearns and Christopher Sullivan, they've responded to me and they've attempted to kind of get the message to the powers that be, but um, I mean, this is still going on. I mean, there's, camp, there's illegal camping and furling almost every weekend. If the weekend is good, you'll you'll have camping over there and litter and, and there seems to be nothing done about it. And, you know, the state is required by law to protect that site, like it being a special area conservation, yeah. but it's not being protected. Like, okay. right. And we run the risk, like we run the serious risk of a serious fire, like what yes. happened in Curraclaw or Dallymount, and you're, you're into the territory then of, of being a risk to life. Like. Yeah, yeah. And if you had another dry spell, which according to our friend Alan in Carlow Weather can't be ruled out in the second half of the month, if you had another dry spell and a fire, you could be in trouble. Yeah, exactly. All right, Dan, leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Dan uh, from Into the Wild Ireland. Dan Lettuce, uh, dumping in Castle Creek and in the dunes and all that. I'd love to know who is responsible. What department in the county hall is responsible for that? It is a protected area. So what department in the county hall is actually responsible for that 1850 says quick reminder to you that the Premier League is coming back and of course every Saturday there will be live and exclusive commentary on uh, Corks 96 online on the app uh, driven by our, our, powered by TalkSport and brought to you by Now it's the Premier League live with Now Trevor and the crew here on Saturday afternoons online the Premier League live with Now your sport on your terms stream only the games that matter to you most with Now I'll start again on Saturdays very very soon Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie It's time to vote. It's time to vote. In the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Go to 96FM.ie Check out the shortlists for all categories and vote for your favourite. The Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths and more with a 12-month guarantee backed by Board Gosh Energy. Only on Cork's 96FM. Nice to see there doesn't appear to be any shortage of hedgehogs around. Finbar says, I have a resident hedgehog in my garden. It becomes a family of two, three or four during the year. Always seems to be the same couple. They came first day for the cat food. They love cat food for some reason. Um, they're a lovely animal and we're delighted to have them 
you can get a hedgehog home for just eight euro in Blackpool and they sleep in it for the winter if it's filled with leaves. It's very touching when they came at first. If they saw us, they'd roll into a ball. But now they seem to trust us. That's lovely, Finbar. Our, our little fella, we haven't seen him for a couple of years now, but our little fella, who's never come out of the ditch. Uh, maybe because the, the dog was sitting there watching him for, for months on end. Dog never went near him, but he was sitting there in the in in the hedgehog or in the hedge for for nights night they're everywhere they're everywhere which is great to great to see we'll talk more about that a little bit later on this is a conversation that i honestly thought we'd never have to have again uh, i spoke to you rene god knows how long ago after the marriage equality referendum in when was it now good morning 2015 hi how are you yeah it was 2015 yeah outline again for listeners the problem that you and and Audrey, isn't it, Audrey, have? Yeah, so I suppose when we're talking about um, LGBTQ plus parents and families, um, up until last year, there was no way for both parents to be recognised as legal parents to their child, which meant that um, only one parent was a legal parent and was essentially a legal parent. Even if you were married, you know, marriage equality didn't change anything for um, LGBT families. So, you know, the situation that we found ourselves in was that when our first child was born in 2016, um, only I was recognized as a legal parent because I gave birth. And my wife, their other parent, their mother, um, was essentially a legal stranger to our child. And, And then again, when we had our second child in 2018. So now with this new legislation that came in last year, for the first time, some families now do have equality, but yeah. in order to meet um, those criteria of like having legal recognition for your family, you have to meet very kind of just very strict criteria. You have to be two women who have used an Irish fertility clinic, who've used an identifiable sperm donor, and your child has to be born in Ireland. Now, there are some kind of retrospective, um, an amnesty as such for children conceived before May of 2020. But again, it's only female couples. The child still has to be born in Ireland. So I suppose for our family, we do qualify under the new legislation. We haven't been able to um, have our situation sorted out, but we're lucky in that our situation is covered under this legislation, which is called the Children and Family. Mm-hmm. Lady. You, you gave birth so to the children. Is that Everybody else. Oh, that line! That, that line is going to crash on us, unfortunately. Rene, my understanding is that Rene Rene gave birth, and Audrey is is her wife. Audrey's not recognised legally as a parent in this country, but under the new legislation, will be. But yes, there exactly. are ma- many others who won't. Exactly. So I suppose anyone who is not covered are you know female couples who have not used a fertility clinic to conceive, anyone who has chosen to use a known sperm donor or an anonymous sperm donor, anybody who has used a clinic abroad or who has been living abroad, their children have been abroad and then they, they want to come home, they're not recognised. Um, and and I think most profoundly is um, children born through surrogacy are not covered at all. There's no legislation at all at the moment for surrogacy, which of course doesn't only affect LGBT families, it, it affects people across society. I've been speaking to some of them, yeah. 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 So, what do you think? Is it, Rene, is it reluctance 
to just sort it out once and for all? Or what do you think it is? I think, you know, I think there hasn't really been the will within government and the drive and time and money and resources. And those resources have not been dedicated to this area. And I think with the passing of the legislation last year, there was almost an element of, well, there you go now. Um, you know, you've got some legislation now. Um, and it's almost like the importance of all the other families have, have been kind of moved down the ladder of priority. You, which you is have to wonder who is, it, who is advising government on these things then? You do. You do have to wonder. But you know what? Any of To be fair, any of the you know, politicians and, and people that we have uh, worked with, on a personal note, very much want to see equality for all children because I don't, I don't think anybody in their right mind could look at a child and say, well, you don't deserve equal rights to the next child purely because of how you were conceived or where you were born. I don't think anybody, you know, in their right mind could do that. Like, how could you look at a child Whatever about looking at their parents, but how could you look at the child? And this is what it's about. It's about looking at the children and saying, okay, you deserve basic human rights, which is a legal connection to your parents. And it shouldn't matter what the sexuality of your parents are, what, uh, what way you were conceived, what country you were born in. None of that should matter. Uh, what should matter is just like those basic human and children's rights. And right now, um, it's, it's a disgrace you know, what, how children are being left. I, I think that, I suspect rather that for, for those who are not covered by the new legislation, and we would all prefer that they were, the defensive government would be, well, you can apply to be a guardian and that's okay, so. Yeah, and it's not okay. You know, I would ask any, any parent, would you be happy being considered your child's guardian? The answer, and I've asked that to politicians who I've met who maybe have said that to me. And I said, Well, would you be happy? And they're, they're like, Well, no, of course I wouldn't. And you know, guardianship is great and it's it's um, it's it's a it's a, a really good avenue to have, mm. appropriate in this case. And you know, yes, absolutely, for those who are not covered, it is important to get guardianship because it's at least a measure of protection for your kids. Um, but that phone is continuing to give us trouble, Rene, and I uh, give it one more go. So about how many people do you think now are not covered? How many families that you know of? Through- hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Through activism are not covered by this new legislation. Sorry about the phone. Can you hear me now? Yes, okay. Oh, okay. Um, so, I mean, there's no official numbers as such, but it's definitely in the thousands and it's growing all the time. Um, you know, I think, especially now with the introduction of marriage equality, the younger generation now can see that parenthood is open to them and it's an option and it's not, you know, you know, the... Je- no, it's it's unfortunate. That's three times. It's it's it just keeps dropping, and you can do nothing about it. So we take the point, and we've spoken to Renee on more than one uh, occasion about this. Uh, herself and Audrey have two children. Uh, previously to the legislation, uh, Audrey uh, Renee had the children, but Renee but Audrey wasn't recognised as a parent. Now with the new legislation, that's been they've been sorted out. But Renee's point is that for hundreds of other parents, there isn't a sort within this particular piece of legislation. And her argument is, why not? 1857-15996. Just on Wally, it would appear he has left the area where he's been for the last couple of days. So he gone on the travels again. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Great Beyond is a new two-day festival with live music and comedy in the stunning surrounds of Balnacurra House Kinsale. It's taking place on Saturday and Sunday the 11th 12th of September and acts taking to the stages include Bell X1, Lisa Hannigan, The Frank and Walters, Wallace Bird and Mark O'Reilly. Access all areas. Cork's own Jack O'Rourke is playing alongside singer-songwriter Lorraine Nash in a great double bill show taking place in O'Mahony's Bar in Watergrass Hill tonight and there's still a limited number of tickets available. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96 FM. 1850 715996. How much is a family entitled to know when a loved one is being treated for a mental health condition or a mental health crisis? It's a question that has been asked many, many times over the years, and one we've discussed on this programme more than once. The Mental Health Act contains a recommendation about it. But it's just a recommendation. It's not law, and it doesn't seem to be happening. And Andrew McGinley is a name you will have heard. Uh, Last year, Andrew's three children, Connor, aged nine, Dara, aged seven, and Carla, who's just three, were killed at their family home in Newcastle County, Dublin. It was his wife, Deirdre, who had taken their lives. She was later found 
not guilty by reason of insanity and is now in the Central Mental Hospital. But Andrew McGinley believes that this could have been avoided. And he believes firmly in his heart that this could have been avoided if he had known more or if he had been let know more about Deirdre's treatment. I've been speaking with Andrew McGinley in the last couple of days. Andrew McGinley, as this is the first time we've spoken uh, on behalf of myself and my listeners, uh, our condolences on the dreadful loss your family has suffered. Thank you, thank you, Peter. You are convinced, Andrew, that had you had more involvement in Deirdre's care, we might not be having this conversation. I would say that with some 99.9% certainty. Um, I feel that uh, family involvement is is important with the care of mental health patients. Indeed, the College of Psychiatry uh, agree with me. Uh, in an opinion piece in the Irish Times a few months ago, William Flannery, who's the president of the College of Psychiatry, said that the majority of its members are of a view that the involvement of family members should be encouraged. Don't you have the issue of patient confidentiality to take into account? You do indeed. And within the recommendation, they talk about, uh, you know, that it has to be with patient consent. But everybody seems to be in agreement that it is a positive part of the patient's treatment plan with the patient's consent. And they talk about proactive encouragement uh, for the patient to include their family. So in our case, if you ask Deirdre, she can't remember being asked once whether she wanted family inclusion. So that does not sound like proactive encouragement to me. And I had a meeting with the HSC last week and I, I met with two lovely people and, and, and very good people, but I asked the question outright was, since I started talking about proactive encouragement, was it now being practiced? it's now being taken, it's in the recommendations, yeah. so you would have to assume that it's seen as being best practice for mental health treatment. Simply asking the patient, uh, would they like their family uh, to be included yeah. uh, and given information and support to, for the benefit of their treatment. So that simply at some stage along the road, one of Deirdre's doctors would have said to her, look Deirdre, would you, would you like if we spoke to Andrew here, would you like to talk to Andrew about this, bring him in? And she gets that opportunity to, to think about it at least. At, at least. So as this is only a recommendation, the recommendations are not compulsory. So I would feel that proactive encouragement should be written into the law so that every opportunity, so every counselling session, that the subject of family inclusion, where there is a supportive network for that patient, and in Deirdre's case there was, um, that the patient should be encouraged, proactively encouraged to have family involvement. Yeah. And it's with the patient's consent. Because the other areas about patient confidentiality is somewhat separate. But again, that is somewhat of a grey area because... It's written in there that confidentiality can be breached, can be sort of uh, worked around and the family included if the patient is a danger to themselves yeah. or if they are a danger to others. In our case, and it came out of the, at the trial in May, that Deirdre had, had uh, expressed desires to take her own life. 
Now, for me, that is Deirdre expressing that she is a danger to herself. Mm -hmm. But nobody at that time, when she was expressing those thoughts, chose, uh, they chose not to contact me. Did they choose not to, or are they well, not allowed? Well, within the law, they can breach confidentiality if they feel the patient is a danger to themselves. And Deirdre was attending sessions where she was talking about taking her own life. So in my opinion, she was a danger to herself. Yeah. So the remaining 167 hours of that week, she was back home with us in the family home. And we're totally oblivious to the fact that Deirdre was a danger to herself. Uh, quite a few people have written to me, and I'm grateful for all the letters I received. But uh, quite a large number of people wrote to me about their own experiences of having their loved ones uh, receiving mental health treatment. So I reached out to uh, a couple of people in the last uh, few uh, days, in fact, uh, since my meeting, my last meeting with HSE, to see was proactive encouragement now being practiced. And both people came back to me saying that their loved ones were still not being proactively encouraged. You've been speaking with Una Butler, who had a similar tragedy with her own family here in, in East Cork a number of years ago. A very distressing story. I covered it yeah. myself as a journalist. I've spoken to Una since. You and Una now have been talking to each other quite a lot. Well, Una campaigned long and hard back in 2010 for exactly the same as what I'm asking for now. So had Una been listened to, then Connor, Dara and Carla would be alive today. So Una was ignored. I'm probably, I'm looking like I'm being ignored. So are we sitting here waiting for the next news story to break where more young lives are taken because families aren't involved, there's no support for families, we're left in the dark, our loved ones go off to their counselling sessions and they come back and in my case I was being told that everything was fine and medication and a treatment plan and everything was going to be alright. I was left unaware um, also, for me, one of the major points for me was at the at Deirdre's trial. Um, I sat there and listened to the amount of meetings that Deirdre was attending, where she expressed a concern about being a parent. She expressed concerns about being able to look after the children, how she was struggling being a parent. And these were all... Uh, and I was unaware of that. Um, so... At a, again, at a one-hour counselling session, she's expressing that she's, uh, whether you would define that as being a danger to others, but I think if you're expressing that you're unable to look after your children, you're struggling to look after your children, mm. that the, the partner or the other person in the house should be informed. But Deirdre was coming back home, and whilst we had a, a fantastic support network and there was a lot of friends and, and, and my, my, my sister was coming up and staying for long periods of time and, and, and family members and my brother. And there was very little time that she was on her own with the children, but we were unaware that she was expressing concerns about yeah. being a parent and struggling. Andrew, you'd be forgiven for being bitter or resentful about the fact that your beloved wife was expressing these views and these fears to her t medical team and, and you were completely in the dark. You would be forgiven for being bitter about that. Are you bitter? 
I just don't want anybody else to die. I do not want to get up some morning and turn on the news and hear of a similar tragedy again and then to find out down the line that there was no family inclusion, there was no support for the family and that they were pretty much left in the dark. As I say, had Mary Butler, had uh, Una Butler been listened to 10 years ago, back in, sorry, 11 years ago now, back in 2010, she spoke to many people who are still in the Oireachtas um, uh, looking for their support. Um, family inclusion was not written in. Uh, it was still left as a recommendation. Uh, the decision is still left with clinicians whether they feel that somebody is a danger to themselves or to others. I feel that any those areas need to be firmed up. Do you believe there needs to be a compulsion on clinicians when a red flag like that is raised? Definitely, definitely. Because I I had one meeting during these treatment and I was told that, you know, some treatment and some medication and everything should be fine. And that was my only meeting with uh, the mental health uh, teams who were treating me. Now, I would have think at that stage, I would have been with Deirdre for some 18 years. Not once did anybody think to sit down with me and talk to me about what life was like for Deirdre at home. No, like the mine of information that I would have been for them in her treatment plan. Like they're, they're meeting the patient for one hour a week. It, it just does not make sense the way that mental health is treated in Ireland. I mean, I, I spoke to, um, I have fantastic support here from my, my own TDs, um, Mark Ward and Ona Brun and Ema Higgins. They've been fantastic to me. They really have. But um, I, I, I just, and Mark, I met a number of weeks ago, and he told me that in Ireland, there's no emergency mental health treatment uh, centre. If somebody has a, a, a serious mental health breakdown, you're just to the A&E. There doesn't seem to be any uh, emergency uh, centre now. I'm, I'm corrected on that. If the, if the HSE can tell me that there is a specific emergency treatment centre, but there doesn't seem to be any that... Uh, Mark Ward or there or I am aware of. Yeah. And that it's somewhat shameful because there's a lot of talk now about people's uh, mental health around COVID and the lockdown and the lockdown has been tough for a lot of people. I would imagine there is a strain on services, but uh, the frontline teams need to be supported to deal with that. Yeah. Um and I, I and the removal of grey areas. I, I, I don't envy Mary Butter at the task that she has because whatever she puts into law now will be in her name. Yeah. And I know, and I, I truly hope that there is not a similar tragedy in the future, because I know that if there is, you, you know, the likes of yourself and everybody else that we've spoken to will be back calling me for comment and calling Una Butler for comment. And, and we've been appealing for this now, as I say, Una, since 2010. Yeah. And I think it's about time that we were listened to the treatment seems to be now centered around psychiatry. You know, the patient arrives in, sit down there, talk to me about your feelings, talk to me about your traumatic experience. Your error is up. Thank you very much. See you next week. And there's my bill. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be focused on the patient and their families that they're heading home to for the other 167 hours of the week. Andrew, you're, you're extremely calm about this and but, but I'm sure you must have lain awake at night you'd be the man 
who would have known Deirdre better than anybody in the world. And and you didn't see this awful tragedy coming. But you didn't get an opportunity to watch out for anything, is what you say. Well, that's the nature of, of mental illness. There's, I suppose there's still that stigma around it. Um, there's still, I suppose, when you look at the figures of the amount of people impacted by uh, mental health, and uh, very few people are, are talking, you know, openly. There's, there's people who have come out. I mean, the likes of Brezzi has spoken openly about his struggle um, with his mental health, and um, a, a number of people in the media I have come out recently, as well since COVID, talking about it. But there's still that sort of stigma. So even if Deirdre was coming home from her treatment and I would say, well, how was that? All I was being told was, no, it was fine. You know, I'm on the medication and I'm good. And I'm so all I was doing, I was thinking, well, you know, whilst she is receiving treatment, you know, I'll make sure that, you know, her her friends and, and our, our family are all support and rallying around and making sure that she has the support, unaware that, had been in, you know, at her at her session talking about taking her own life, yeah, and talking about struggling with, you know, looking after the children. Can I ask, finally, Andrew, how you are now and how Deirdre is now? Um, yeah, I'm I'm all right. Um, I'm focusing on a number of, of uh, projects that uh, are linked to promises that I'd made to the the children. Um, I suppose shortly after they died, you begin thinking about the last time you spoke to them, the last time you held them, kissed them. And for me, I thought about the last promises that um, I hadn't got around to keeping. So for Connor, Connor wanted a YouTube channel. Yeah. So we have Connor's clips on YouTube. And they're lovely. They're I lovely. support that. No, thank you. Thank you. And so for me, I, I, I hopefully kept that promise to Connor. Charlie wanted a snowman. So I'm, I'm, as it doesn't snow every year, I'm hoping to... Um, uh, set up a colouring competition in, in Carla's memory called Snowman for Carla. Um, Dara, Dara was involved in everything. He was in commercial hurling here in in, in, Rask, in Newcastle and uh, Neve wore a GAA and he was in the Scouts and he was in Rask Little Boys, the soccer club, and he was in the drama club. He was involved in everything. So we set up a charity. Well, we're, we're awaiting our charity status um, just for as Dara did because we would like to encourage participation for people to get involved in their community as Dara did. So yeah. we're looking to do that. And the two lads were prolific comic book writers. So I hope to write books based on some of their characters okay. that will feature Connor, Dara and Carla. So those, those projects are, are what is driving me on and, and, and keeping me somewhat busy well. both. If you ever if you ever need assistance with, with any of the men, Drew, we'll be at the end of the oh, phone for you. How is Deirdre? Do you see her? Um, I have I visited Deirdre once um, with COVID and shutdown and everything else. Um, there was there was no visitors or anything like that, but I felt I did need to see her and speak to her. Um, I didn't, I, in all honesty, um, I didn't recognise the person I met. Um, I struggled to understand how she had capacity to stand trial. Um, the the legal term is that uh, to be able to stand trial, that you have capacity. And I struggled, I, I, I believe in my mind, but again, I'm not a mental health professional. I struggled to see how she had capacity. 
I didn't recognise the person I met. So um, and I expressed that opinion to a member of the uh, the hospital team that uh, was with the address. But um, um, yeah, I, 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 for me, I, I struggle to see how she would fit in head capacity, as they call it, to stand trial. This, this is not what you're saying. This is not the woman you loved for 18 years of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you still do, do you? Um, listen, it's complicated, PJ. Um, uh, I think anybody would be able to understand that. Andrew, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, PJ. Thank you very much. Lovely guy. In the course of that conversation, I referred to Una Butler and the tragedy from Ballycotton. Um her two little girls, Zoe and Ella, killed by their dad, John, who then took his own life. And Una has been campaigning for years for the very same thing that Andrew's campaigning for now. How long is this going to go on, Una, before people start to listen? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, all of what Andrew has said there relating to uh, not knowing his wife's symptoms, what she was telling her psychiatrist that he was unaware about. I suppose was familiar from me with my family as well, I suppose, when I got the notes afterwards in reading that, you know, John felt responsible minding the girls. I was unaware of that. And because children are need, you know, support and encouragement and their welfare is, is of the utmost importance that we should have been made aware. But mm. this case of where that's where a family member should be involved mm. in order to, in order to um, you know, give more information to the medical professionals. The, 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 the medical professionals would then have a greater insight into the behaviours by treating differently, but obviously the other parent will know and how best to support the person that's suffering. But it's obviously so much for the children to help prevent further cases from happening. You, and you believe, like Andrew believes, his three beautiful children... Connor, Dara yeah. and Carla might well be alive had he had a conversation like that. Do you believe that Zoe, Ella and maybe John would still be with you if conversations like that had been yes, had? Yes, I do believe. Um, I do believe that Zoe and Ella would be alive today had I been involved in, in John's treatment. Without patient confidentiality, it doesn't have to be broken. It's for me to give, like, it would be for a parent to give the behaviours of the person that suffered the mental health to the health professionals and without breaking patient confidentiality the, the, the health professionals could you know, educate the other person how best to support them, what to expect, the, the effects of the treatment and like for example all the years that I've researched this um, I've gone to, into Italy to an international conference on suicide on three occasions trying to learn um, you know, did I miss something or what is there to learn and mental health is a major factor since 2000 in the Republic of Ireland, 53 children have been killed by a parent. Wow. And, you know, 22 of those parents, 37 cases, it was 37 cases in Ireland, in the Republic, 53 children have been murdered, and 22 of those parents were suffering with their mental health. Mental health is a major factor in these cases. Yeah. And, you know, it's like... a. I feel like I broke a record because I'm going on about it for so long and getting nowhere. But I, all the policy documents from the HSE proactively encourage family involvement. And yet it's still not and happening. It's not happening. No, I've, I've read and I've researched and um, 
is the question even asked to the patient that presents themselves with their mental health? You know, will you involve a family member? And if they don't want to involve a family member, find out why, especially if they're living with children. In Norway, if a person that suffers with their mental health are living with children, it's legal. It's made legal that there's supports in place for those children. Yeah. 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 You know, how, how are you, briefly, Una, before I let you go, how are you now? It's, what, 11 years for later this year? 11 years this year, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, um, it's not easy. It's, it's an awful, it's the worst thing in the world to um, live with, trying to live without my children. Um, I have great friends and family, great support from them all over the years, and uh, my work colleagues have been fantastic as well. Um, but it's not easy. No. It's the most cruelest thing in the world. You know, yeah. Yeah. it's just absolutely dreadful. And I do believe that, you know, I know that there's a domestic homicide review taking place as well into familicide in Ireland and homicide. And I'm hoping that there might be a recommendation that would encourage the legislation, like for a person to be made, uh, to be involved in a family member's treatment, especially if they're suffering with their mental health, to be made mandatory, especially if they're living with children. Okay. Una, I leave it there for today. Thank you. Always good to speak with you. That's uh, Una Butler. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I was reading a couple of articles there about Kelly Harrington over the weekend in the wake of her fabulous victory in Tokyo and that homecoming yesterday was just brilliant. But... The whole decision she's got to make now, and she, if she's got sense, and I think she has, will take many, many weeks, if not months, to make that decision, is what to do. Is it, as she said herself, is it Paris or is it pro? One of the articles I was reading said that even if she decides to hold on to her amateur status and defend her Olympic title in Paris in three years' time, and remember, it's only three years' time till the Olympics are in Paris, and she can be, have European championships and world championships in between that. Even if she maintains her amateur status, her elite amateur status, Kelly is such a marketing dream and such an endorsement dream that she could easily be banking six figures for the next three or four years, regardless of what happens in the boxing ring, amateur or pro. So even if she didn't go pro, and, and, and start fighting professionally. She is such a marketing gem now because of her wonderful personality, incredible achievement, the fact that she's so, she's so open and honest and sweet in interviews. She is an absolute gem for a marketing guru and she would be pocketing six figures a year, easy, while still uh, holding on to her elite amateur status. So it's not down to money. It'll be down to where the fight game takes her now. 1850-715-996. Just looking there, our friend Alan O'Reilly at Carla Weather. We must get him on again soon. Alan was saying after the last 
bit of summer weather dissipated and fizzled out. He was saying that there's a possibility at the way he was looking at the model that it could return in some shape or form. He's not making any solid predictions yet. But what he is saying this morning is that after the weekend, it looks promising. Now, there's no sign of the heat that we had in the second half of July, but an improvement in the weather looks very much on the cards according to the models that he follows. And the two apps that I follow now, two of them, Dark Sky and YRNO, are both showing an improvement in the weather after this weekend. We can't expect much for the weekend ahead of us. But coming into next week, a little bit of summer may return. Uh, there's no sign of the heat we had in July. But a little bit of summer may well return uh, next week. And it'll be nice to see it for another couple of weeks before. Wouldn't it be lovely to have another couple of weeks of it? Even if it wasn't as hot as the last time before the kids go back to school. It would be great. 1850 We'll keep in touch with that, in touch with, with Alan. One thing that's not happening this summer, again, is the Rose of Tralee. It's not happening. Uh, just was considered too risky in the uh, course of the pandemic to, to run it, yet again in the Dome. But there's another competition starting. There is. The Nose of Tralee. I kid you not. I kid you not. The Nose of Tralee. Looking for Ireland's perfect pet. I'm not making this up, and it is the 11th of August. It is not the 1st of April. 32 noses are now looking for your support from around the country, from their counties, to bring the title home of the Nose of Tralee 2021. Cork's entrant is a six-and-a-half-year-old golden retriever with the name of Jerry Butterscotch. I'm, I'm not making this up. John, good morning. Good morning, you <laughs> uh, Jerry's your dog. Yes, my dog. Tell me about Jerry then. Jerry is a lovely dog. He's like a very crazy personality. He's lovely. Everybody loves him here in Cork since we arrived here three years ago. And uh, wanted to be part of Ireland, part of uh, traditions you have here, would like to participate in this contest and maybe win it. Why not? How did you find out about it? Uh, via internet, there was another dog last year, Robert. He was a runner-up of the Nose of Saline. He was trying to make it. It was a rescue greyhound dog. Yeah. And tell me, I mean, Jerry is a, a golden retriever. Yes. And I've seen a picture of him, and he's gorgeous. There's a lot of, is there a lot of grooming involved in that coat? Yes, it is actually, like, almost daily. Almost daily. Yeah. So, can we vote for Jerry? Of course you can vote for Jerry. There is a link from... Pet Sitters Island, who who's doing this contest for eight years now, Kate and her husband, and um, there is a link on his bio on Instagram. Uh, I believe it or not, Jerry has an Instagram. <laughs> <Sorry. It's, laughs> Second, no. uh, Your dog yeah. has an Instagram. Oh yes, happens these days. Uh, his name in Instagram is Gerard uh, underline Butterscotch. Gerard, oh, it's Gerard, yeah. Gerard Butterscotch, Gerard. right? His, yeah, his name is Gerard. And um, you can vote via his bio from uh, Instagram. Uh, it's funny, but it's it's nice. It's lovely. It's so cute. Gerard underscore Butterscotch on Instagram. You can vote there or go to Pet Sitters Ireland 
and the prizes will be presented on the 24th of August. The announcement will be made on Facebook and Instagram, and we wish him well. John, that's a Greek accent, isn't it? Yes, that's a Greek accent. Where yeah. are you from? Well, from northwestern Greece, like it's near Corfu, but in the mainland. Okay. Oh, okay. So you'd be your closest island would be Corfu. You must yes. be. You, you must be worried about the folks at home now, are you? Uh, we are. It's very, very warm summer over there. Uh, the wildfire is still going, especially in some of the places. Yeah. And waiting to see what's up with that. Do you know anyone affected by it? Of course, we know. Yes, unfortunately, people who lost their homes during the wildfires. Yeah, the, the island of Avia would be, it wouldn't be a place that we Irish would go on holiday, but it's a place where a lot of Greek people would go on holiday. So do you know, oh, yeah, you know a lot of people there, do you? Yes, of course. And I have friends who were affected from the wildfires, like they have businesses over there, hotels. Yeah. Is that Jerry? Yes, that's Jerry. <laughs> he wants to participate. <laughs> Oh, is Jerry a boy? Jerry is a boy or a girl? She's a boy, yeah. She's, she's a boy. boy. Okay, all right, all right, all right. John, listen, we're thinking of your of your friends and family at home in Greece, as I'm sure you are. It's a terrible situation. But on a happier note, and, and there's Jerry getting his spake in. Good luck to Jerry in the nose of tree. It's it's just a lovely, quirky little idea that's been going on for a few years. And we thought we'd catch up with this year's Cork entrant. And uh, I, I, I set out interviewing you, but I think Jerry wants to get in on the act as well, if they have a chance. John, thank you. Take, take care of yourself. That's John from... He's from Greece. So is Jerry. Jerry. Gerard under... I'm almost laughing at myself. Gerard underscore butterscotch. But do yourself a favour. Look us up. What a gorgeous dog. 1850-715-996. Speaking of animals, we opened this morning at nine by asking you when the last time was you saw a hedgehog. And we've had a few calls and a few messages and a few texts of people who've seen a lot of them. Uh, apparently they're getting caught up in G-Innets down around Ballinhasigwe. And sadly, one caller said they're finding a few of them dead because the hedgerows are not being cut and so that they can't, they're getting run over by cars because they can't move out of the way. We'll catch up with why we're interested next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie what you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live With Now Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 996 On Cork's 96fm There's a picture of Jerry Butterscotch up on our Twitter now, a gorgeous, gorgeous dog. Just speaking of Greece and another man, Matt McMillan talking to Frankie Shanley or Frankie Beats, uh, who's based in 
Corfu at the moment. Uh, is it Crete? Crete, sorry. He's based in Crete at the moment. Um, spends the summer there while he's based in Portugal in the rest of the year. And he was telling us this morning that the island of Crete has just ordered a 24-hour music ban and a nighttime curfew due to COVID. And anybody who's daring to organise a private party will be fined 50,000 to 200,000 euro. Now, that's what you call a lockdown. But the island of Crete effectively gone back into lockdown with a 24-hour ban on music and a nighttime curfew, which kind of cuts poor old Frankie's season very short. He was in Sidari, which is a great party town, but not anymore. 1850-715-996. So I asked you at the start of the program about hedgehogs. When was the last time you saw one? Um, do they come into your garden? Have you seen them in a ditch? Where, where have you seen hedgehogs? Uh, because the Irish Hedgehog Survey would like to hear from you. Uh, Elaine Bennett, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. These are the most lovely, harmless little creatures that turn up in gardens and greens and fields from time to time. Do we know how many of them are in Ireland? Or is that what you're trying to find out? Well, that's it. That's what I'm trying to find out. We don't really have um, a lot of information on hedgehogs in Ireland. We we just assume that they're very common and that they're spread throughout the country. We know that much, but we don't really have any idea of the numbers. And we know that in you know in Britain and in other countries in the continent that the the numbers have been in fairly steep decline over the last couple of decades. Mm. So uh, that's why we want to to know now what our numbers are like in Ireland, so that we can monitor them going forward. Now they only have one predator in nature, if I remember rightly, that's the badger. But still, yeah. their numbers are on the decline. Why would that be? Y- uh, yeah, well, in Ireland, the only, the only thing that could really take a full-grown, healthy um, hedgehog would be a badger. But um, obviously, other things will quite uh, will will kill hedgehogs, particularly, um, you know, traffic and yeah. um, things like uh, pesticides and stuff that people are using in their gardens, slug pellets and things like that. But the the main reason that hedgehog numbers are in decline is just the loss of habitat and, and breaking up of their, their their habitat areas. So hedgehogs live in hedges, as the name suggests. That's, you know, they really need hedges to, mm. to live in. And, um, you know, they need, um, that provides shelter and food for them. So um, quite a, particularly in, in the kind of the countryside, a lot of hedges are being removed, fields are being made bigger and stuff. And there's less kind of mixtures of bushes and, yeah. and trees and hedges and stuff. So there isn't as much areas for them to feed as there would be before. What I've remarked since I mentioned it this morning early is the number of people who are saying, oh yeah, we've got a little fella comes into the garden. Yeah, so one of the things that has, um, you know, uh, turned up in studies, particularly in, in um, England and places in the last few years, is that um, urban hedgehogs or hedgehogs that are living in around kind of towns or villages and stuff, their numbers aren't dropping as quickly as those out in the countryside. And that's because gardens actually provide quite a good habitat for hedgehogs. So, um, you know, if you have people who've got plenty of bushes and flower beds and vegetable gardens and things like that, and mm. a lot of people as well then are feeding hedgehogs too. So, you know, or they'll come and they'll pinch the cat's food or the dog's food. Yeah. So um, the numbers aren't doing as bad actually in their own kind of gardens and stuff. And lots of people have hedgehogs resident in their gardens for, for years or they come back every year. Do they eat snails? 
They do, yeah, they do. They eat slugs and snails. Yeah. They um they prefer things like um beetles and caterpillars and earwigs and, yeah. and stuff, crunchier things. But the, they the, the, really the reason I ask, Elaine, is because we, we have had a, a, a little visitor over the years mm-hmm. into this, between my house and the house next door. This, it's just quite an established bush rather than a hedge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No one's like that. And a few years ago, we found this little fella who used to yeah. sit in there. And, and one night, there was a hole in the fence, he came out, and of course the dogs nearly lost their reason. But it didn't bother him, he just rolled up into a ball. But yeah. we noticed that sometimes in the summertime, if he's around, there's not that many snails or not that many slugs. So he must be coming out for a feed when everyone's in bed. Is that what they do? That's exactly what they do, yeah. They come out after dark, so they really are nocturnal animals. They come out at night time and they... They, they, you'll hear them kind of snuffling around the garden. They're very good. Their sense of smell for detecting food. And um, yeah, they will pick up anything they can. So uh, slugs and snails are, are good because they're on top of the ground, so they're easy to pick up. Other things, sometimes they'll dig as well for stuff. You know, little grubs and bugs that will be that will be buried in the yeah. in the top of the soil. So um, yeah, certainly. So they've always been considered to be a friend of the gardeners because they will eat eat slugs and snails as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, I've often wondered at my res- the response of my dogs to them. They're bemused rather than anything. They sit there looking at this yoke, wondering what exactly do I do with it? <laughs> yeah, we. I, I get a lot of calls, all right, from people saying that the hedgehog in my garden is driving my dog mad, you know. So they, you know... Um, the cat a lot by of, the way, the cat hides. My cats won't go near it. Yeah. The dogs go and, over for a sniff and then move back again, do you know? <laughs> That's it. And sometimes then the cats are the ones that are curious and the cats are minding it and, and just looking at it and the dogs are trying to pick it up and, and shake it and stuff like that. So as long as the dogs aren't um, aren't trying to pick it up or they you know they aren't trying to bite it and stuff, that's okay. Yeah, um, they'll so come off dogs, worse yeah. if they do anyway. So well, yeah, the dogs can can end up getting um, getting prickled in their mouth, but also the hedgehogs can sometimes end up getting hurt, but right. by the dogs, you know, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not. They don't seem to have an aggressive bone in their little body, do they? They just curl up in a ball. Yeah, I mean it's a very good defence. Their spines are really, really sharp. I don't know if you ever tried to pick yes, one I up. Did. They are very sharp. You know, so they're very, they're and their muscles are very strong. If you have they, to they, move one, you need a set of gardening gloves. You absolutely do. Yeah, or welding gloves even if you can get a hold of them. They're very sharp. But they, like, and they can, the muscles are very strong. They can roll up in a ball and stay very rolled up tight and they can do it for hours you know the muscles are, are very um, are very good they don't get tired that easily so it's a good defence mechanism so when anything threatens them or, or they feel unsafe they'll just do that roll up into a ball and that works for most kind of predators definitely yeah. obviously it doesn't work for cars and, and stuff no, like that unfortunately. unfortunately it doesn't yeah. yeah now just before we talk about the survey and how it works um, someone's been calling us this morning about a hedgehog home that you can buy and put it in the corner of the garden and put leaves in it and they'll go into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, this is like, hedgehogs seem to be just, uh, everybody's into them these days. Everybody's looking for little things they can do in their garden. So you can certainly, you can make or you can buy a little um, a little hedgehog kind of a nest box. Um, there's uh, There's a, a website, it's called Hedgehog Street. If you just Google Hedgehog Street, it's an English website. But they have great pictures and designs there if you want to make your own one. So it should be basically like um, a fairly sturdy kind of a waterproof box. It can even be a 
a, a plastic storage tub or something with a little doorway cut out. Ideally, you'd want to have um, a little tunnel way or something entrance like that into it. So things like cats and stuff won't really go into it, but the, the hedgehogs will, and that helps keep them dry and cosy. And um, yeah, and a lot of time they'll even gather up their own leaves and stuff like that and, and roll them up into a ball. So brilliant. So the survey. How do people take part in it? Okay, well, there's a, the survey is, is going on this summer and it'll be going on next summer as well. So if people can't take part this summer, don't worry about it. So there's a few different ways that people can help out. So the easiest way is if people see a hedgehog, that they can um, they can just log their sighting on the Biodiversity Ireland website. So that's just biodiversityireland.ie. And, you know, just there's a, a special page there just for the hedgehog survey and you can let us know where you saw it how many you saw, were they dead or alive or, or, you know, and you can you can upload a picture as well. So that would be great if people can do that. And then the um, the other way that people can take part is that uh, you can do a survey. So you can do a small survey just in your own garden or you can do a bigger survey in your local area. So that would be about a, a kilometre square. So you would do that using um, footprint tunnels. So as, because hedgehogs are kind of scarce and they're only out at night, they're hard to... They're hard to um, to go and survey. So what you do is we put out these little little um, plastic tunnels with a couple of sheets of paper and some um, paint and some cat food in them. So when the hedgehogs go into them to get the cat food, they get paint on their feet and then they walk back out over the paper. So we can tell then if there's hedgehogs in the area or not. So it's um it's a nice uh, it's a nice kind of a project. I have about 180 people I think signed up to do that at the moment. But if anybody else is interested. If you go to the um, the project website, which is irishhedgehogsurvey.com, if anybody's interested, go on there and you'll get uh, the contact information, a bit more information about the surveys, and okay. uh, and I can uh, get in touch with me then and I can get you set up. Great. When will they go off to sleep then for the winter? Um, it, it depends a lot, on, particularly on the weather, on the temperatures. When food starts becoming scarce and the temperatures start dropping, they will go into hibernation. So it's usually around the end of October into November that they start going into hibernation. But if we have mild spells during the winter, sometimes they will even wake up and come out and look for a bit of food or a drink of water and go back again. I have to say, I I love that idea that when it starts getting too cold, just go off off to sleep and get up again in March. I love that idea. I really do. (laughs) Elaine, good good to speak with you. They're, They're just lovely little creatures. By the way, is it true that they're riddled with fleas? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're hopping with fleas, but the thing is that they're, um, it's a hedgehog flea, so it, they're specific to hedgehogs, so don't worry. I know it, it can be kind of freaky to see the fleas hopping off them, but they won't, um, the fleas won't go and live on you or on your dogs or cats or anything. Okay, like that. and do they carry any other diseases we should be aware of? Um, I think, um, well, I suppose they're probably more harmful to the hedgehogs really than people. They they do suffer badly from lungworm and sometimes they get that from eating snails and slugs, unfortunately. Right. Um, and ringworm is another thing that they can get sometimes. Right. So I would always say to people just look at them and enjoy them from a, you know, yeah. you know, don't be trying to make a pet out of them. Yeah. And can I just, um, yeah. <laughs> can I just say one thing, um, CJ, uh, Cork Nature Network are um, hosting, I'm going to be giving a talk with them Tomorrow, tomorrow Thursday, isn't it? Tomorrow yeah. evening, I'm going to be uh, doing an online talk with Cork Nature Network. So I think you can find them online and on Facebook and stuff, and you can get the details if anybody is interested. Great. It'll be just a general talk about hedgehogs and about uh, the survey and stuff as well. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll mention that again. Thanks very much. Elaine Bennett, irishhedgehogsurvey.com is where you can find out more. They're just cute little fellas. And that's good to know. Their fleas are hedgehog fleas. 
They're not going to get onto the cat. They're not going to get onto the dog. And most importantly, they're not going to come in and get into the bed with you, which is a good thing to know because they are hopping with him. I discovered this one night with our little fella. I went out, it's a couple of years ago now, with a torch and shone it in to the ditch just so I could get a look at him. <laughs> and he was alive with fleas. But they're his fleas. 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Join me weekdays on the big drive home where it's go big and go home. The biggest tunes, the biggest prizes, and catching up with the biggest stars, too. I was on a bit of a date with a girl, you know. Some lad came up in a van beside us and he just said, like, Are you Shane Cotton? And obviously, it made me look unbelievable. For all the latest Cork news, entertainment, and traffic updates, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The big drive home. Let's go business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96 FM. Oh yeah, on the mental health reform, a message from Jerry. He says, unfortunately, this will be like Selena or Savita Halapanaver and repeal the eighth. It'll take more tragedies like Andrew's and I guess Una's until the law is changed. Uh, it would be so sad to see it happen again. Still more people calling us about the hedgehogs in their garden. Just look after them. Be nice to them. Um, take a picture. Upload it. You find out more details on the, the hedgehog survey. And actually, in fact, we have posted details of that hedgehog survey or hedgehog uh, talk that uh, Elaine is giving. It's you, You'll find a ticket for it. Don't cost you anything. Eventbrite.ie forward slash discovering hedgehogs with Elaine. It's tomorrow night. Uh, or is it no it's August the 19th sorry it's next week August the 19th uh, 7 o'clock on Zoom just to add, add to your fascination for the humble hedgehog why not <laughs> yeah Declan we spoke to Declan a few years ago about uh, MS I think he's one of the first people we ever had on the show who, who spoke so openly openly and honestly about living with multiple sclerosis and uh, his health comes and goes as it does with multiple sclerosis but Declan Groger I think is how he pronounces his name was on to us to say that for the first time in many years I feel I'm now in a position to undertake my own fundraiser for people living with MS by a person living with MS I don't want to be dramatic but I may not have the energy or the ability ever again I consider myself very fortunate to be as healthy as I am right now and I work hard to remain so I'm realistic enough to know also that this can change in the blink of an eye. I'm going to wheel myself around the 60-odd streets that make up Cork City Centre, that part of the city that lies between the north and south channels. I didn't realise there were so many streets. I stopped counting at 60 as it was starting to seem like an impossible challenge. I chose August 24th to coincide with the opening of the Paralympics in Tokyo. It just seemed an appropriate day to take up a wheelchair challenge. So he wished, wish him well with that, Declan. We'd maybe talk to him or maybe do more about it in the run-up because it's an interesting one. We spoke, as I said, spoke to Declan a few years ago about living with MS. He's in a pretty good state of health at the moment. He realised with MS that can change overnight. 
but for now he's giving it a go and he's doing that on the 24th of August which is by the way it is the start of the Paralympics and I hope I really do hope that the Paralympics will be A, shown as much on television, we'll get a good few hours of it every day, and B, that they'll get the coverage that it deserves. Because pound for pound, and, and over the years, we've done very well, Ireland have, at the, at the Paralympics. Better, in fact, than the main Olympic team generally do in terms of winning medals. And we've got some Irish athletes gone out there, some Cork athletes gone out there, rather, uh, to the Paralympics, and we'll maybe cover it a little bit more and find out who is out there over the next week or so. All right. 1850-715-996. Here we go. There's a Dublin band called the Fontaines DC, of whom you may have heard. And that's Televised Mind, which is their recent single from their current album. And they have been nominated for an Ivor Novello Award, which is a huge thing. The album was called A Hero's Death. And it was also nominated for the Grammys, but they've now been nominated for the Ivor Novello Awards, which are awards presented annually for songwriting and composing presented in London by the Ivor's Academy. In other words, big news. The person who organised the first gig outside of Dublin for Fontaine's DC was none other than a man you may have heard of, Pierce McCarthy. Good morning to you. Hey, PJ. How are you doing, bud? Good, good. Now, as long as I know you, you're championing new music. And you spotted these guys and you brought them to Cork. Remind us when. I had them here for two years. I, for the listeners, I ran a festival back in 2015 and 2016 called 96 Over 1, where I brought all unsigned, up-and-coming acts basically to the city. And we took over for a, a nice the first year and a weekend the second year. And the whole concept was introducing these new bands to the you know, the public in Cork. And the Fontaines DC, they, they played both years. I remember very well when they applied. They just stuck out. They were lovely lads. They had 125 Facebook likes, but I liked their energy. Mm. And they came down, and I'm not going to name, they played in a certain venue and the first year. And the gig was an amazing gig, full of energy, as you can imagine. So I went back the second year to the venue to see if they want to be part of the festival. They went, well, last year now it was very busy and very good, but uh, not our type of thing. <laughs> so we'll pass this year. Yeah. But it's just brilliant to see the lads do so well. I mean, they were lovely, lovely young fellows. I mean, I haven't really seen them or been in touch with them since then. Yeah. But it's nice to see somebody doing well. I mean... T- tell me a bit about them as you knew them then. What's their origins? Where do they come from? From Dublin. Um were just a bunch and a lovely bunch of young fellas who were just into their music and the energy. It was the energy, I think, that yeah. they brought. That, 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 that really clip I played, like, and uh, I had a quick listen to bits of the album this morning on Spotify. And it's all like that. It's, it's yeah. 90 mile an hour stuff. Yeah, like I, I, I always remember when I kind of realised that these guys were going to do well. 
Because there was just something about what them, you know? What 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 gave you that sense, Pierce, that they were going to do well? It was just their attitude. They just had this real rock and roll good kind of attitude. They loved what they were doing, but they just had this energy about them, PJ. Mm. Lots of bands have that energy, but these guys just had this little bit something extra. And then I remember seeing them a couple of years afterwards. They played Glastonbury four times in the one year, right over the whole weekend. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, just way to go, lads. Brilliant. Mm. And they've just gone from you know, bigger to bigger. They may not win an Ivor Novella, but to be nominated for something like that. It's yeah, that's impressive. it's one of the big... It's, it's, we, we know about Grammys and we know about all that kind of stuff. It, it, the the Ivor Novella is about the writing of songs and yeah. the composing of music. It's, it's, big, it's big cheese. I mean, that's what guys in that industry, in the industry, what they're doing. They're creating the whole time. I mean, when a guy writes a song, he's putting his personal thoughts and feelings out there. But to write a song that's being, you know, to to be of the level now where you're being nominated for the likes of these and your peers and and all the the the, the what's nots and you know the the, the hobnobbers in the music industry yeah. are taking notice of you. I yeah, mean, well, you know, I mean, their, their first album was it 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 won a major award, album of the year on the present among the presenters on BBC Radio 6 Music, which is a very specialised music channel. They were nominated for a Mercury Prize, nominated for a Choice Music Prize. Their second Rupert album... as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Their second album was nominated for Best Rock at the Grammys this year. Yeah. And yeah, now, right. it's great. <laughs> I mean, what, you know, you can steadily see their rise. Yeah. You know, and their... You know, any band can put out a great first album, but we all know it's the second album is probably the most important because are you a flash in the pan or are you a band that can progress and get better? And they're doing that. Yeah. You said you and they're Irish and we should champion them. Yeah. You said you haven't seen them since. Do you ever feel no, like going? No, I haven't. <laughs> Do you ever feel like Lads, don't, don't, don't forget me. Don't forget me. <laughs> so they stayed in my house the night, the first year of the festival. Get away. They came down, they literally, so they just crashed in one of the rooms at, it's lovely young fellas. Brilliant to see them now do so well. Maybe I might be able to crash in one of those swanky hotels now. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce, good man. You're in many, many parts. Uh, Pierce McCarthy uh, reminds us of the 96 over 1 uh, festival, which is great. It was brilliant. I remember going around that the first night, it was a one, or first year it was all one night, and I took in four or five different gigs, and it was all sorts of different bands. I didn't know the first thing about any of them, but it was just great to see such young composition and energy and like that now that that the whole album of the Fontaines you see pick it up on Spotify or anywhere you get your stuff it's all like that it's all 90 miles an hour stuff it's great 1850 speaking of music and new music and all of that can I just uh, say I meant to say this over the last couple of days I must also wish my good pal Roy Buckley uh, the best and indeed congratulate him on another single another very successful single brought out this is fourth or fifth single now Crooked Jack Roy Buckley's got Crooked Jack out at the moment and flying flying on the iTunes charts Ryan oh, he's been in studio for most of the last 18 months and this is the fourth or fifth single that's his latest one and best of luck to him uh, with the continuing release of all his new music The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The facts on vaccines from Cork's 96FM. 
So how does a vaccine work? When a pathogen enters your body, your immune system generates antibodies to fight it. Some antibodies then remain in your system playing watchdog after you're better. If you're exposed to the same pathogen in the future, these antibodies recognize it and fight it off. Vaccines work because of this function. When you get a vaccine, it instructs your immune system to generate antibodies. As a result, if you're exposed to that pathogen, your immune system will recognize it and work to battle against it. For information on COVID-19 vaccines, visit the HSE website. Helping you through COVID. Cork's 96FM. There's a controversy in the Ladies Gaelic Football Association at the moment, or involving the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. Someone got on to us about this, were, were most upset, said they couldn't go on air about it, but they were very upset. The LGFA Player Development Programme is not going ahead this year. This was supposed to be going ahead, but not uh, due to COVID, delayed due to COVID. This is to get young girls uh, involved in Gaelic football. And we know how wonderful our ladies' Gaelic football team has been over the years here in Cork. And to get good seniors, you need to get the kids in, get them in early, get them in and get them developed and get them playing football. And there was to be a programme run this year, um, a development camp, I guess you'd call it in the summertime, but it it hasn't been uh, running. It'll be launched now in in 2022 with restrictions lifted. Um, And the person who got on to us was very bothered by it because said the daughter was very upset that it wasn't going ahead. And then we hear that, uh, and this is the Cork Ladies Gaelic Football on their Twitter, Um, it's a pity that Ladies Football won't allow girls to participate in these development uh, programmes like their official GAA, in other words the main GAA and the Camogie counterparts are allowed to, so I take from that tweet that the main Gaelic football and main hurling association are having their developments and having their camps and all that, and the Camogie people are having their camps and all that but for some strange reason the ladies football aren't doing it this summer, and the Cork LGFA tweet was along the lines of levelling the playing we're being told it's all about levelling the play f- the playing field but but here's a, another example of, of where it's not uh, being levelled very much. I, I don't know a whole pile about this but it, it just seems to be something that's worth, worth looking at. Um, lots of parents putting kids into camps throughout the summer soccer camps, rugby camps, lady camps and, and GAA camps and uh, hurling of football were having their camps, Camogie were having their camps, but ladies football didn't have their development camps this summer is what I'm understanding from that. If if I don't know the whole story, certainly let me know. Also, got a message here earlier on. During the lockdown, the motor tax office was closed. There was a lovely man who was in a post office nearby who would help the elderly to do it online. I arrived today to pay for my motor tax, but lo and behold, they are still closed appointments only is the system but there didn't seem to be any appointments happening. Where can you make an appointment? Online you have to go online to make an appointment if I could go online I wouldn't be needing an appointment in the first place. I believe there's also only one counter serving for the appointments pretty much entirely online now is where the motor tax is and that's a very good point like if you could even go online would you need the help that this person clearly needs with it. And I don't know how many years ago it is now, but it's quite a few years ago, people were saying, look, 
Do you know the easiest way to deal with car tax? It was the easiest way then and the easiest way now. It's just do it in the post office. Just do it in the post office. Go in, bring in your data and just do your motor tax in the post office rather than having to traipse out to an office that very few people know where it actually is. Wouldn't it be such an easy solution? And then you have people like that. There are some people that just can't do online. Some people that just will not be able to do online. On the health service, one or two final comments there. We started off this morning talking to uh, Dr. John Sheehan, and we were talking to Colin Bork, TD, and we were talking to Liam from the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, and we were talking to uh, Sinn Féin TD, Tommy Gould, about the situation with the health service where Cork University Hospital is now at the kind of crowding levels it hasn't experienced since before the pandemic, and this is a question or a position that we would normally be in in October. So we're having a conversation about overcrowding and trolleys and waiting. We're having it in August. We would normally have it in October. And people are now very fearful of what lies ahead of us for the wintertime. On Twitter, Tom said, it's all down to cutbacks over the years. More recruitment is needed, as is the reopening of closed EDs to take the load off the main hospitals. Putting all your eggs in one basket when there is an infection out there like COVID is simply not a good idea. 1850 That's your lot for today. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. We shall see you tomorrow just after nine. Leave you with Ed Sheeran. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW.